The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Mulch. And I'm your host, Ronald Schmilzer. Our guest today is Sharik Ahmed, who is the head of technology for Morningstar's data collection group. Hi, Sharik. Thank you so much for joining us on AI Today. Hi, everyone. Hi, and thanks for joining us. We'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners, tell them a little bit about your background and your current role at Morningstar. Yeah, thanks for that. So firstly, I wanted to thank you guys for having me on. It's my pleasure. My name is Sharik Ahmed. I am currently serving as Morningstar's head of technology for the data collection group. I've had the opportunity to work on many different products here in my career at Morningstar. And we continually you know, strive to deliver best quality products to our customers. And I believe that data is really the electricity that powers a lot of what we do here. And as a head of technology for the data collection team, I realized that we can do more in bringing in data faster without compromising on that great quality that we've maintained over a number of years. So we started incorporating machine learning into our data collection workflow to provide scale and speed to process data faster. Previously, prior to joining Morningstar, I worked at the Chicago Stock Exchange as a developer working on their trading systems, broker-facing platforms, order management system. And this is how I really got started with financial services. And you know, even before that, I worked in different industries from airlines to telecom. However, the opportunity at Morningstar has just been wonderful. I've learned a tremendous amount here about the business and the new technology that you know we've utilized along the way. Well, great. I think, you know, we were really thrilled to have you at our Data for AI Week conference. And so for those of our listeners that may not have been aware, we ran a one-week virtual conference, September 14th through 18th, 2020. And you can find out more information about that at dataaiconf.com. And it was focused on the data side of AI. And so many of our practitioners and peers here know that, you know, while we may obviously want the outcomes of machine learning and all the fabulous insights and the things we can derive from data, it all is based on having access to really good data, you know, quality data, quantity data, all the things we need. So that's usually what holds up projects. And so we spent this whole week looking at all these different aspects of data from data labeling and annotation to data preparation and data engineering and sourcing and generating data and the whole data life cycle. And Sharik was awesome because he did two things. He presented on automating data collection at Morningstar. We just heard a little bit about that. As well, he sat on a panel. We talked about some of the issues around ethics and some of the other challenges from data from the industry and especially the banking and the financial services perspective. So maybe for our folks who haven't had a chance to listen to the presentation or see you on the panel, by the way, for all of our listeners, content is still available for that. Even though the conference, the live part of it is over, all the sessions are still available at dataaiconf.com. So I do encourage you to head on over there, register, it's free uh, to access that. So maybe as a way of motivating folks that haven't had a chance to see your presentation, tell us a little bit about some of the insights that you shared at the conference. Absolutely. So Morningstar is a well-known name in the financial services area. And chances are that you may have come across our data in some shape or form, either through our you know, famous ratings, Stylebox, or you may have access to one of our products where you, for example, might be performing research or managing your portfolio or managing someone else's portfolio. And a lot of the analytics and IP that we provide 
in that form leverages a lot of the raw data that we collect within my team from various different sources across global markets. And putting all of this data together can power multiple use cases, such as portfolio monitoring, investment research, and reporting, for example, an x-ray of your portfolio to highlight your exposure to regions and sectors and different currencies, for example. You can also power a lot of AI machine learning use cases with this data. For example, if you want to perform risk analysis or you know, you want to predict price movement or movement of a particular data point, you know, how it's trending, you can leverage a lot of this data for that. We also take data quality very seriously for that reason. We have over 400 global employees trained on Six Sigma processes to ensure that we collect, process, and deliver the highest quality data to our customers. And the quality aspect is very important, especially when you're leveraging it as training data for machine learning models, because you'll get suboptimal output you know, when you get around to the inference stage. And we collect data from, like I said, from global markets on a number of asset classes, including equities, ETFs, open-end, closed-end, CITs, collective investment trusts, separate accounts. We gather our data in a continual real-time basis on you know, market data, variable annuities, and you know other types. The list goes on. We collect fundamental data, operational, portfolio, and performance data, depending on the security type. So for example, you know, portfolio is not relevant for equities, but it is for a fund. So we collect that. And then performance is relevant across the board because people want to know how things are performing. And each of these instruments and markets have hundreds of data points. We've been collecting this stuff for many, many years. There's a really nice time series history that we've built up over time. We also have over 36 million documents in our archive where much of this data has been collected from over the years. And so as you can tell, a lot of ongoing collection as well as maintaining historical data, there's just so much that we do. Like The operational footprint is so, so large. And as this data footprint continues to grow, while we process the existing sets that I just talked about, with more and more instruments as they come to market, for example, new companies and funds will get listed along with new regulation that may drive creation of many new data points or deregulation could also kind of generate the addition of data points or mappings or, you know, there's so much that can happen in the future. So we'll continue to pay attention to the asset classes that we've been collecting over the years. But we're also expanding our coverage on emerging data sets, such as retirement plan data, health saving accounts, hedge funds. This is, for example, where we'd be looking at plan lineups, fee structure, and of course, performance. We're also looking at alternative and non-traditional data sets, such as real estate prices, consumer sentiment data. And as you can tell, our data footprint will continue to grow. And with that, you know, you get into a bit of a scaling problem. And so we need to scale. And you know, when I think of the word scale, I think of automation. Like immediately, my next thought is automation. And scaling isn't impossible without automation, but you'll agree that certainly made a lot easier with it. We've been leveraging automation in various forms since the, the beginning, utilizing the best of what is available at the time. We have used things like RPA, string matches in you know different programming languages over the years, regular expressions. And if you've ever worked with these things, you know they tend to be brittle, they require maintenance. You end up with like hundreds and hundreds of regular expressions that you know older ones may not work. So you continue to create new ones. And we've learned from our experience that data sources change over time, whether it's the format or the context that we're collecting data from. So, you know, you sort of need to kind of stay ahead of the curve on this and adapt quickly, continue to deliver data at an increasing velocity. And as I said, our footprint is going to continue to grow. We're going to need to collect more, faster, without compromising on quality, hopefully improving quality even further. 
And this is where we, you know, decided to leverage machine learning and allow it to improve in an automated way over time. And we feel that machine learning can handle some of the complex use cases. And we can kind of pipe different machine learning models together to deliver on some of the more complex tasks that a human may be undertaking today. Yeah, that's great. And it's a really great segue into the next question that we have. Because at AI Today, our listeners know we talk a lot about automation and how automation is incredibly useful, but it's not intelligent. So you're right, it is very brittle. And it's not able to deal with some of the complexities that people need it to. So Morningstar has been leveraging machine learning to collect financial data on many different instrument types across global markets. How have you seen this impacting the speed and accuracy of the data collection? Sure. So the inferences or predictions from our models are really delivered to an analyst to verify and make corrections where needed. We do this to ensure the highest quality output. Like I said, you know, our North Pole is providing the best quality, best products to our customer. And that's why we do this to make sure there's a human in the loop to verify that and make corrections. That also ensures that we have feedback data collected to retrain the models so the models get better over time. And delivering much of the data to an analyst to verify instead of having them collect all of it manually allows them to process more data points in the same time frame. The analyst touch, as I said, also forms a second layer of quality check. So you potentially kind of improve your quality with this setup. We're also building an automated retraining process that allows a monitoring service to kick off retraining of these models based on preset triggers. And these triggers could be event-based, for example, precision recall or F1 thresholds. They could be time-based. For example, we'd like to do retraining every Saturday evening when no one's kind of in the office or using the platforms. Or, you know, manually do a trigger when, for example, a data scientist feels that they have new and improved code that needs to go out. So the analyst feedback is tracked and used as the main source for retraining. This allows models to continue to improve over time. And so that's that kind of automated fashion that we have, that we have the human in the loop to provide feedback. And then we store that feedback in a large ground truth storage, which is constantly being checked by the monitoring service. And when it determines that a threshold has been crossed, it kicks off the training and deployment orchestrator, which then fetches the source code, the ground truth, combines it together, spins off a cluster in the cloud, and then which then outputs a kind of a fresh model deployed behind an endpoint, behind our API gateway, which then auto-integrates into the application as a new version. So the next day, the analyst comes in to use the verification application. They can be assured that they're getting a better version of the output. Of course, we don't want to regress on our efficiency. So we track that very closely within the monitoring service to show how models are performing, if they're trending upwards, downwards, and so on. Well, great. That's just some good applications of AI there and machine learning. And, you know, as we talk here at Cognolytica, we look at the seven patterns of AI, right? So we're talking about recognition systems and conversational systems and pattern and anomaly detection and predictive analytics and autonomous systems and hyper-personalization systems and goal-driven systems. And especially within the financial services industry, there's definitely a lot of use of machine learning for the, especially the patterns and anomalies, you know, trying to detect patterns and find the anomalies and also predictive analytics. Now, obviously, it's the dream goal of all those in the financial services sector to create the model that can predict the financial future because then, of course, you can, you know, corner markets and... <laughs> Maybe that's, or you could just in general, you can like know where the 
price trend is going to be and have the advantage, right? So, but of course, you know, things never really follow set patterns. Otherwise, we would be well ahead of that. So a lot of the challenges really have to do with just at the fundamental level, just getting that data, you know, getting access to the data, cleaning the data, preparing the data, you know, getting data into that shape to be used for some of these machine learning models. So obviously you have a lot of lessons learned here, you know, not just your experiences at Morningstar, but you talked about when you're working at Chicago Stock Exchange there. So, you know, maybe you could talk a little bit about some lessons that you have learned that you could share around automating data collection. Sure. So one of our biggest challenges that we realized is when we're collecting this data is around conversion of source documents. A lot of the data that we collect is publicly available through regulatory filings you know, from sources like the SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission in Canada, it's CEDAR, and there are similar setups around the world. But just because data is, you know, available doesn't make it easily accessible. What I mean there is, you know, these regulatory documents are often in PDF form, which we can come in, which, you know, we know can come in either text-based PDF or image-based forms. Image-based forms are more challenging, obviously, because you may have someone who's taken a picture of a table uh, with their phone and plastered it into a PDF to make it look it's compliant. But then anyone who's trying to parse it has to kind of do the, the heavy lifting of deciphering on what that table really meant. So this is, you know, PDFs are okay for humans to read, but not so much for machines to parse. I can write a program to parse a PDF file to access its metadata and just, you know, plain text content, but I'm going to lose a lot of the formatting, which is key because you have to maintain data point relationships, such as correlating a line item in a table, you know, in a row to a particular time period in a column. So we first convert documents for that reason into machine parsable form. This is where it gets really tricky. Given we process documents from over 100 markets, the level of variance we see from market to market is, is extremely high. There's often variance even within a market. So for example, two companies even within listed you know, within the United States, they may not have the same structure either. And we can't develop our custom solutions market by market because we know that just doesn't scale and you know, the payoff just isn't there on that. And then, so the other thing is, there isn't a single tool available on the market that can handle all the conversion challenges that we encounter across all of the markets that we collect. So we've built a pretty robust conversion API that leverages a number of different solutions underneath from commercial, open source to several homegrown options. In fact, in one of the solutions that we've built, we have a patent pending on this too. It's utilized for table parsing international filings documents. And so all of these solutions sit behind an easy-to-consume API. So we're continuing to innovate and improve our conversion capabilities on that. And then domain knowledge and our experience is kind of captured within that API to route you know, different types of problems to different solutions underneath. So they're highly optimized. And then there's an exception handling process that if one solution doesn't work, we recognize that and then pass it to the other kind of the secondary, second tier of the conversion tool. Once these documents are converted over successfully, we run pre-processing steps to eliminate noise from these sources. So first you have a PDF, then you convert it to some machine parsable form, which may be HTML, it could be JSON, it could be some XML form, but it's still, it has a lot of noise. If it's HTML, you know, you're going to have HTML markup. So you have to eliminate a lot of that. Some of these documents could be 80, 90, 100 pages in length, where you're only looking at something that's captured within nine lines of text on page 87. So you have to kind of, you know, section classify, get to that element, eliminate the noise above and below for that. So that's where that kind of pre-processing happens. And then we then extract training data from that relevant section in a structured form. Just, you know, it could be key value pair, or it could be feature target form. And then 
one thing that you know we realized when we started down the path of machine learning AI was a lack of training data that we had available at the time. For example, we needed labeled data to help train models, but that is not what we had been collecting. We were just picking up values. Okay, net income from this company is this. But we never really captured where and how a person was able to determine where to get that value from. So that's what I mean by labeled data. And that's what many companies struggle with and they'll struggle with. Anybody who's building a machine learning model to realize they need some labeled data in some shape or form you know, to do that. So we went ahead and we did a lot of labeling initially. We created an annotation tool, a homegrown tool to enable people to help label the data for us. And then we kind of sort of figured out how to reverse map and generate training data for some of the use cases as well to kind of get us going. And then, so, you know, you, you're going back to your question, what lessons? So I would say, you know, given storage is cheap now, it doesn't hurt for companies to start storing data that they feel could be valuable in the future to train. A machine learning model, for example, you know, storing 500 gigabytes of data on Amazon S3 costs just less than 10 bucks a month, right? And I think that's relatively cheap. This could potentially save a lot of time and effort down the road. A lot of the, you know, it's true that a lot of this data might be irrelevant and it may not come in handy, but if there are some hidden gems in there, even if that's less than 5%, then the benefits of having that on hand could be enormous. And so, you know, like I had said in the conference, you know, data is the new oil. It's, it's kind of famously known. Collect it today, park it in a barrel or an S3 bucket in Amazon, and then refine or munge it later when you need it rather than having to collect it for a big historical time frame going backwards, which could be very, very costly down the road. Yeah, that was great. And, you know, I know that listeners always like to hear about lessons learned and kind of how you've done things, what you've learned along the way. So maybe they don't make the same mistakes if they're new to their journey or, you know, a little less farther along than you. So thank you for all of those incredible insights and lessons learned. I want to follow up with a question about responsible AI. What are some of the insights on responsible AI that you've learned from your role at Morningstar? And how do you think about and incorporate that into what you do? Yeah. So we follow kind of a, as I said, a human-centered approach. We're building a symbiotic relationship between our analysts and the machine. The analysts are continually presented with model inferences, which they process. And that helps form a feedback loop to retrain the models. As a result, models continue to improve with rich quality training data over time. And we're also skilling our analysts on data exploration, data munging, and auto ML to help them directly automate their workflows. And so that's kind of, you know, over the years, we've just like, you know, you would, Microsoft Excel came out, you provide training to them for new, new tools. Now kind of AI ML is more relevant now because of compute and storage becomes cheap. And a lot of these tools, for example, we're, we're leveraging a lot of auto ML now. And auto ML allows us to target several different use cases. For example, you know, you can have, as I was saying earlier, you can have a binary classification type of a problem where an analyst currently has to sift through hundreds of documents and where 98 might have been, uh, 98 of them might be marked junk and two are relevant. So an analyst can now create a binary classifier on these documents themselves through the use of AutoML. So some simpler use cases, there's a very good use for AutoML. And you know we've been leveraging different tools that are available on the market from Google, Amazon, Microsoft. We, we have an R&D squad that pays attention to what's you know coming available on the shelf and we utilize that as much as possible. And the goal is as I kind of go back to you know we need to kind of accommodate our growing footprint in a scalable manner and by at the same time preserving the quality that we've had over the years. 
So kind of having that human-centered approach, you know, allows us to do that and help scale the process over time where we can collect more data points from additional sources. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for the insights there. And, you know, thank you for joining us on this podcast today. I've really enjoyed this discussion. And I know for our listeners that weren't able to make your presentation, I encourage them to check it out at the Data AI Conf. I know that you dug a little bit deeper into some of these things, but this was a great overview podcast of that and some of the important things that you're doing at Morningstar. So I wanted to end by asking the question that we ask at all podcasts. And I know that we have a bonus episode with you as well. So for our listeners that are interested in us digging a little bit deeper into some questions and topics, we encourage you to check that out at AIToday.live. But I want to end this podcast today with asking you, what do you believe the future of AI is in general and its application to organizations and beyond? So I think AI is We know that it's very, very powerful at processing unbelievable amounts of data. That's really kind of where the power comes from. It's able to form patterns quickly with through neural networks, deep learning, especially relevant now, as I said, because we can leverage cost-efficient compute that's not available at our fingertips through AWS, GCP, Azure, that's Amazon, Google, Microsoft, which make it very easy for us to create models. You can spin up a Jupyter notebook, start hacking away at Python code, and just start experimenting with, you know, munging the data that you might have in a spreadsheet, loading it into your notebook, and then creating that model, utilizing different algorithms, tuning hyperparameters. So it's become a little bit easier to do that now. And so that's why I think the focus on AI ML is growing and it'll continue to grow. AI is not just good for repetitive tasks. It's also good for complex decision-making when certain course of events take place. And we'll continue to see inclusion of AI in the workplace. You know, you may get to a state where you get automated intelligent email replies to maybe even investment management. So, you know, if we can have automated driving cars, you can imagine, you know, the opportunity is endless on a number of areas where AI ML hasn't been applied. And now we, not many people would think you can apply AI ML to document collection. We're using it very successfully and we'll continue to use it in other areas across the company. Yeah, I think that's great. And that's part of the reason why we love doing these podcasts, because we see all these different applications of uh, of AI across all these different areas. And, and it just goes to show how, you know, when people may in their minds say, when you think of AI, you may be thinking of one thing. But as you could tell, if you, for those who've been listening to this podcast, it actually there's a lot of different applications of AI, those seven patterns of AI, you know, all those different ways in which AI can be applied to solving a lot of different problems. And at the end of the day, that's really what it's all about, which is another tool in the tool belt for us to solve all these problems. And I really like how you talked about earlier about like just, you know, keeping the data around and, you know, storing it and then later refining it when you need it. That's really very important. Of course, you know, there's the responsible part as well, which you talked about, which is sometimes the act of storing data can cause people some concern. So being responsible about the, da- the data you're storing is useful as well. So it's a really, really great little interview we had here to cutting across a lot of these different applications types and some of these thoughts. So I really wanted to thank you so much for joining us today on the AI Today podcast. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us here today. And listeners, as we said earlier, please tune in to the bonus episode that we have with Sharik as well at AIToday.live. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please make sure to rate us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. As always, we'll post any articles and concepts discussed in the show notes, as well as a link to the Data AI Conference so you can check out Sharik's talk there. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more, 
please visit our website at Cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group and make sure to join the Cognolitica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright by Cognolytica. All rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.